0: Bibles turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Uh, While you're turning there, uh, just a couple of items of business Uh, for those of you who are part of fullness on a regular basis. Nolan and Kayla Renner have been a part of fullness for three years, four years, five years, seems like a decade, doesn't it, Nolan? Uh, and they're moving to down to the Pensacola area. And so Kayla's not here. She's, I guess, working or she's at the beach. No, she's working. So Nolan, stand up. And some people around uh, Nolan, just lay hands on Nolan. Let me pray for him as they're moving this. They're, Nolan's last Sunday with us. Uh, Kayla couldn't be here. They, for all practical purposes, moved already. And they're returning home after being in school and We just want to speak blessings on them today. Lord, we thank you for the renters, and we just speak blessings over this couple, and thank you for their contribution to fullness over the last four years. Lord, we pray that the word of God that's been invested in them here will see great fruit as they move forward in life. Lord, we are just blessed that we get to co-labor for the gospel, have in these past years here and will together in the future, though in different physical locations. Lord, we thank you for Nolan and Kayla and speak blessings over this couple. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to miss you guys, Nolan. Since the beginning of fullness, we have been a church that emphasizes fully embracing the Word of God and the Spirit of God. It's not a 50-50 kind of proposition. Should we embrace the truth or should we embrace the spirit? We believe it's 100% of both. If you emphasize one or the other, I believe you'll find yourself in a ditch from which it'll be difficult to extricate yourself. In other words, you'll be stuck uh, in a ditch. And so it's tough to get out of those kind of ditches those kind of ditches. But at times in the Bible, you'll see an emphasis on the Spirit of God, and at other times you'll see a real emphasis on the truth of God or the Word of God. But what we want to do is take the Scripture in its entirety. Psalm 119 We find the psalmist, though throughout the psalms we see various elements of life emphasized over and over and over again. Psalm 119 is a psalm that emphasizes the truth or the law or the scripture or the word of God. We need to fully embrace God's word. So this morning, as I, as I preach on God's Word, please don't lose sight of it's both God's Word and God's Spirit. This morning, the psalmist, in 176 verses, over and over again, is going to emphasize to us the Word of God, and that's the pedal, so to speak, we're pushing today. But don't forget the Spirit of God. We'll come back to that by the end of the sermon. Uh, I'm now engaged in teaching the fifth person in my house how to drive a vehicle. Um, and because of the difference in our temperaments, uh, after driver number one, Kathy felt it was better that I took on this task uh, than she did. Um, I won't go into all the reasons why. It just uh, seemed apparent at the time that maybe I was better suited to teach the young drivers in our Household How to Drive. As you know, one of the first things that you have to do when you learn to drive is you have to pass a written test. Every state has its own rules for the road. Every state has its own manual. Uh, This is the cover of the latest Alabama driver's manual. It is 85 pages of joy-filled facts uh, about what does it mean to be a driver of a car, Rules for passing, speed limits, signs, different kinds of signs, uh, penalties for violating procedures. Uh, in, in theory, and just in theory, if everyone follows all the rules of these 85 pages will be relatively safe on the road in theory. If you're like me, uh, you're driving around at times. Not only are you violating the principles of the rules for the road, but you're looking around and thinking every idiot on this road at one time or another passed a test that said they were okay to drive. Somewhere down the road, somebody took a written and practical test about learning to drive. There is one thing to learn the rules. There's another thing to actually put them into practice. Jesus makes it clear it is not enough to hear his words, that the wise man is the one who hears the words of Christ and puts them into practice. I've told this story. I know you know this over and over again, but that the little song you learn in children's church, the wise man built his house upon the rock. And then at the end you say, so build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. Build your house. You know, it's, it's, it's not enough to hear the words of Christ. The wise man is the one who hears the words and puts them into practice. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and do what? I mean, we, get, we have to be doers of the word. The picture James paints, and James is a very, I mean, he goes after it. But the picture he paints is, if all you do is hear the word and never do the word, what are you? You are deceived because the word translates into some sort of action. We know from 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, that all, all, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful and important. Psalm 119, as most of us learned at an early age, is the longest chapter in the Bible. 176 verses, and it, it is all about the Scripture or the Word of God. It is uh, an interesting chapter in that it's an alphabetic acrostic uh, consisting of 22 stanzas, each one eight verses long. So what did I just say? How many stanzas? 22. There will be a test on this later. 22 stanzas. I think some of you just kind of glazed over suddenly. It's 22 stanzas, eight verses long, And each stanza begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So you'll see the heading at the top of Psalm 119. And not only does every stanza begin, but every verse within that stanza begins with the same letter. I mean, it's an incredible um, poetry feat that this entire chapter is made up of the Hebrew alphabet with 22 stanzas each verse in each stanza beginning with the same letter, and it's all about the law or the word of God. Years ago, Kathy had this poster called the ABCs of Scripture, uh, the ABCs, God's ABCs for life, and she taught all the kids the entire alphabet. I don't know if she still does it, Um, At all times, at all times, give thanks, give thanks, for it pleases God, for it pleases God. I mean, and that be kind, be kind. I mean, she had the whole thing set to a song where they would go along the ABCs, Christ died for our sins and rose again. I mean, it was a great teaching technique for getting the truth of God's word over to our children. This is in many ways the same things, except it's reemphasizing over and over again one truth. That it's the law or the word of the Lord that is preeminent. Its beauty lies not only in the continual devotion that the psalmist has to the word of God, but about the way the psalmist loves God himself. He doesn't just love the word of God, he loves God. It's a devotion to precept and of loyalty to the way of the Lord. Now because of its structure, if you think about it, you've got 22 stanzas, 8 verses each, each one beginning with the same letter, all on one theme, which is the law of the word of God, therefore 176 verses, there is going to be a ton of repetition. It repeats this idea over and over and over again in various ways. And by the way, repetition is not a bad thing. Some of us need things repeated over and over and over and over again to us so that we can actually it'll sink deep into us and get it. we'll get it. I gave you some highlights to read this last week, but I'm just going to look at verses 1 through 8 this morning, verses 1 through 8 because it kind of gives the overall theme of the book and we're going to look at it and then the chapter and then you can read the chapter later. So, we're going to read together the first eight verses of Psalm 119, and then we're going to look at some points. So, stand up with me, and let's read together the first eight verses of Psalm 119. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes, And seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong, they walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees! Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Lord, this morning we pray that this word would sink deep into our hearts and in our lives and it would permeate all of us. Thank you, Lord. Spirit of God, speak truth to us as we open this word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's some ideas about um, the truth of God, the law of the Lord, as it were. First point is this, comprehend its reality. Psalm 119 says this, Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. There is a reality about the truth of God. Again, the psalmist uses the term law, law. But the vast majority of the Bible is not written in the form of law. In other words, when we think of the law of the Lord, most of us automatically think of the Ten Commandments or the law of Moses. But the law is used in this context in a more general term. It refers to the scripture in its entirety. Most of the Bible is not written in the form of law, technically law. There's history, there's narrative, there's poetry, there's prophecy, there's all different types of literature in the scripture. But, you know, at various times, all those various styles of literature are still referred to as law. Even Jesus refers to the Psalms as law. Why is that? There is, the, there is a truth in this that, that says what's really real is God's word. What really stands the test of time is God's word. God's word in its entirety is law. It's authoritative. I don't even remember, um, again, I don't recommend movies, but uh, you may have seen the movie Pirates of the Caribbean. Remember the Pirates of the Caribbean? They, they go through this entire movie talking about the pirate's code. The pirate's code. we got to stick to the code. The Pirate's Code, they have this kind of, this law that they have to follow all the time, except when they don't. And then when, I remember one scene where uh, a, a pirate is being challenged. Hey, what about the code? What about the code? And he says to the person who asked him, Ah, you know, we like to think of them more as guidelines. I mean, there's this code that everybody refers to, except when they don't want to follow it, uh, it's just more of a guideline. I remember a a number of years ago reading a book by a very prominent um, pastor and author at the time by the name of Rob Bell. I think uh, the book was called Velvet Elvis, which is a great title. Um, And I remember within the first chapter of the book, that Rob Bell started talking about the Scripture, and he started referring to the Scripture not as a wall, but as a trampoline. A trampoline from which we rebound to find truth. And at that point, everything within me just cried out to say, this guy is in trouble. Why? Because rather than seeing the reality of the truth, he was looking at the Scripture as a guideline. It's more of a to him a, le- a living breathing document from which truth could be defined or found i believe truth is in the word of god that the law of the lord stands forever psalm 119:2 says blessed are they whose statutes who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart The psalmist uses the word statute to refer to the law of the Lord. He uses a lot of different terms within Psalm 119. Law, statute, precept, truth, all having to do with the word of God. In Psalm 119, verse 152, listen to this. He said, long ago I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. Forever. They last forever. It's saying that God's word is permanent because it's true. Its truth lasts forever. Let me say this with all the love and compassion I can. We cannot let our culture sit in judgment of God's word. Rather, God's word sits in judgment of our culture. I mean, it's, it's a truth. I believe that if we don't fully embrace then we will see God's word as a trampoline that is then determined by our culture. Instead, God's statutes, his word, stands forever. Now, I know, and I don't have time to get into all the counterpoint arguments. Well, what about the parts that say, don't wear mixed cloth, and this part? What parts of God's word Stand as cultural for that moment and that time. Listen, for right now, just embrace fully that God's word stands forever. There is a reality to the word of God. And then allow the spirit of God move into us into life so that we we understand where where we fit. The psalmist this morning, and again, I'm emphasizing what the psalmist is saying, is saying this, God's statutes, God's word, God's law stands forever. Now, what is real? What is real? Is it the thing that is permanent and lasts forever, or is it the thing that is temporary and changes moment by moment? I believe truth, reality, is that which is permanent That which is temporary is like a smoke, it's like a vapor, it's fleeting. It's not the reality. The psalmist says here that God's word stands forever. Therefore, we need to comprehend the reality of God's word. Reality transcends culture. What is real, what is true, what is authoritative, and what is timeless are the reality. Everything else is temporary and fleeting. So first, comprehend its reality. Second, capitalize on its power. Capitalize on its power. It says in verses 3 and 4, again, I'm just doing Psalm 119, 1 through 8. 3 and 4, they do nothing wrong. They walk in its ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. God's word is to be fully obeyed. When we do, then we walk in the power of God's word. Are you with me? If, if when we obey God's word, then we walk in its power. Look at some of the things the psalmist says that we receive when we walk out the word of God. He says in verse 1, blessed are they who follow God's word. Now, the word blessed, uh, it it means, we talked about this in the men's group the other night. It means happy, but so much more. It doesn't just mean, oh, I'm happy like an emotional happy. It means happy in the word of full of joy, full of contentment, full of peace, full of of life. Now, how many of you want to be full of joy, full of peace, full of life, full of, no, not me. I don't want any of those things. No, we want to be blessed, right? We want to be blessed. We want to. It's the same word that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes: "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God." Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, because we're all looking for this position of joy and peace and fulfillment in life. Where, where are you going to find that? Obeying God's word, following His precepts following his law, following his statutes, following his truth, will lead you to a place of blessedness and joy. Again, I'll keep saying this this morning, we have to emphasize fully the word of God and the spirit of God. I mean, you know, if you've been a part of fullness for a long period of time, how much I hate legalism. I mean, it just grates against me. It grates against me because the legalist says it's all just about following the rules without following the person. There's no relationship. It's all about the law. And are they not the most unblessed people that you know? I mean, really, they're the unhappiest, miserable. They're unhappy because they know they can't follow the law, and they're unhappy because they see you not following the law. They're unhappy at everybody. Listen, when you follow God's word because you love him and you are blessed, you are filled with his joy, no matter what your circumstance. Max Lucato writes in a short work he entitled Peace That Defies Pain. I didn't say that very good. Peace That Defies Pain. He writes about a man by the name of Robert Reed. Who says this, I have everything I need for joy. I have everything I need for joy. And Lucato writes, his hands are twisted and his feet are useless. He can't bathe himself, he can't feed himself, he can't brush his teeth. He can't comb his hair, he can't put on his underwear. Strips of Velcro hold his shirt together. His speech drags like a worn out audio cassette. Because Robert has cerebral palsy. The disease keeps him from driving a car, riding a bike, going for a walk. But it didn't keep him from graduating from high school or attending Abilene Christian University. From which he graduated with a degree, listen to this, in Latin. I didn't even know they offered those much anymore. Having cerebral palsy didn't keep him from teaching at St. Louis Junior College or from venturing overseas on five mission trips. Robert's disease didn't prevent him, listen to this, from becoming a missionary in Portugal. He moved to Lisbon alone in 1972. There he rented a hotel room and began studying Portuguese. I guess if you major in Latin, Portuguese is probably not that far off. He found a restaurant owner who would feed him after the rush hour and a tutor, him, a tutor who would instruct him in the language. Then he stationed himself daily in a park in downtown Lisbon where he distributed brochures about Christ. Within six years, six years, he had led 70 people to the Lord, one of whom became his wife, Rosa. Listen to what Lucato says. He says this, I heard Robert speak recently. I watched other men carry him on his wheelchair onto the platform. I watched them lay a Bible in his lap. I watched his stiff fingers force open the pages. And I watched people in the audience wipe away tears of admiration from their faces. Robert could have asked for sympathy or pity, but he did just the opposite. He held his bent hand up in the air and boasted, I have everything I need for joy. Here's a great line. His shirts are held together by Velcro, but his life is held together by joy. Why? Because, Lucado says, he knows the Lord through his word and scripture brings joy to his heart. We are a people with unbelievable blessings, but act unblessed. Could it be that we're acting this way because we're not capitalizing on the power of the joy of the word of God? In verse 45 of 119, the psalmist says, I will walk about in freedom for I sought out your precepts. Now, is this not a dichotomy that many of us don't understand? And by that I mean most of us think if we follow God's law, what is it going to do? Uh, it's just a burden. It's not going to be freedom for me. He's saying, look, there is freedom when I follow God's path and I follow God's word. It brings freedom to live the life that he's called you to live. Verses 36 and 37, which is part of a section I gave you to read this week. It says, turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. I mean, think about the things I'm saying to you. It brings joy. It brings freedom. Think how much freedom you would have if your eyes weren't always looking at worthless things. People, could you agree with me a little bit this morning that we have more opportunity to see worthless things on a consistent basis than any other culture that's ever lived? I mean, me, like you, I mean, it's going to, the coroner is going to have to do surgery to take the phone out of my hand. I mean, it's become a permanent attachment to my body. And it's filled with worthless things. I can fill every moment of every day looking at worthless things just on Facebook. I'm so blessed that you're going to dinner tonight, but you don't have to tell everybody all the time. I'm as guilty as you posting pictures of what I ate. Who cares? Who gives a flip what you ate tonight? Oh, look, look what Pastor Bart had for dinner. I mean, we're doing—we've got worthless things every. Is it not time that we refocus on what's really important? Could it be that we're losing the battle of love and grace and power because our minds are filled with worthless things? It's just the tip of the iceberg of the power I believe that's released in our lives as we capitalize on following God's word. Third point is this, and this is really important. Connect with its source. Connect with its source. Psalm 119, verses 5 through 8. Here's what the psalmist says. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. I don't know if you get what the psalmist is saying here. He's saying, oh, there's life when I follow God's ways, and oh, I'm utterly worthless to follow God's ways. He's basically saying, I want to do this. I know there's power. I know there's life here, but I can't do it. It's impossible for me. He asked God not to forsake him because of his inability to actually do what he's encouraging all of us to do. That's the first challenge of Psalm 119, really. Follow God's decrees. Oh, I can't follow God's decrees. What am I going to do? The second thing, if you really read Psalm 119, from start to finish, you're going to be a bit overwhelmed, I think, and troubled. It seems as if the attitude of the psalmist is almost out of balance in his view of the Bible, of the Word of God. It's over the top. He almost seems to idolize it. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. He says in verse 48, I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love and I meditate on your decrees. So he's saying, I lift up my hands to your commands. What is To lift up your hands to something is a position of worship to that thing. He's saying, I worship your commands. I worship your decrees. In verse 37, he says, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word he's saying that the word saves his life and he says this at least five times in this chapter if you were to take psalm 119 and just pick it up out of the whole bible and only have psalm 119 without the overall context of scripture i i think we'd be in trouble Because he is so over the top in his love of the word of God, his worship of the word of God, his love of the law. But the psalmist is writing in a period where he's looking forward to the fulfillment of something that is yet to come. All he has right now is the law, the word of God. But he knows that something more is coming. There's a reality that's yet to come. And when Jesus comes, says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, referring to Jesus. Verse 14 of chapter 1, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's Word... God's word comes to us in the form of text. But God's word also comes to us in the form of flesh. Jesus came to bridge the gap between God and us so that we could, by the indwelling power of the Spirit of God, fulfill God's written word. The psalmist sees his dilemma. God's word is great. His command is awesome. If I follow his words, oh, my problem, I can't follow his words. What am I going to do? Jesus comes to bridge that gap. He comes to be the word made flesh so that we could live out the word made text. Verses 5 and 6, as I said, the psalmist says, oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. The only way to follow God is by connecting with him through Jesus and giving up control of our lives and our wills to him. Let me say that again. The only way we can follow God's word is by coming into a relationship with Christ and giving up. Control of our wills to Him. Somebody should say, Hallelujah, I get to give up control of my will to Him. Even, yeah, right. In Hebrews 10:7, even Jesus says, I have come to do whose will? Your will, O God. I have come to do your will, O God. He did it so that the law of God could no longer, it says in Hebrews 10, Merely be written in a text, but his law could be written in my, in my heart. His law is written on your heart because we have a relationship with Christ. Tim Keller says this, The word made text is about the word made flesh. When you only see the word made text and you don't realize it's all about Jesus, the word made flesh, then it would be legalism. But when you realize the word made text is actually about the word made flesh, then you suddenly realize everything in the Bible is really about him and what he has done to save you. Then it becomes life itself. Many religions have a text, but no religion other than ours has a word made flesh. That's why the psalmist says, yet you are near, O Lord, and all your commands are true. He is near. He is here. It's all about the relationship. When I was in middle school, uh, I, I would go home every day and watch Star Trek reruns. I know, it doesn't suit me well. I mean, it makes me look more geeky. Well, I don't know if I can look more geeky than I already look, but I loved Star Trek. And we're talking about, like, the first generation. I mean, we're talking about the original. Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, all of those. I mean, there are only three seasons after a couple of months. You've watched them all, I'd watch them all again. There was this one episode... There's this one episode called I Mudd, M-U-D-D, about this guy. Uh, some of you know what I'm talking I'm not the only geek in the congregation. Um, some. It's about this guy named Harry Mudd. And, and Mr. Spock and Captain Kirk find him. They beam down to his planet. It's one guy surrounded by tons of beautiful women in not lots of clothing. At least, you know, 60s version, not Lots of clothing for a middle school boy, and so uh, anyway, everybody did what Harry Mudd said to do. All these women were doing what he he commanded. Well, it turns out that all these women were doing what he commanded because they're all androids. They're all robots. All the women in his world were robots. He even had programmed one woman to look like his ex-wife, and whenever she'd start nagging, he'd say, shut up, and she'd have to shut up. Now, I know it's not very culturally great today, but it was, I mean, she'd shut up, and she'd have to shut up. And then all the other beautiful women would come out and serve him. Well, it turns out that uh, Harry Mudd has called Captain um, Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, to the earth. I know I'm going on probably way too long about this, but there is a point here. And we've got tons of time. Look how early it is. So just hang on. (laughs) He's called him there because he wants to get off the planet. He's miserable. His paradise has turned into not a paradise because there's no relationship. He's figured out that He's really a prisoner here. Rather than being in control because nobody contradicts him, nobody tells him what not to do, nobody violates his will, so to speak, he can't wait to get off the planet. Here's the point. If you're in a relationship where you're totally in control and you don't lose any of your independence, and you do exactly what you want, and you're never contradicted, and ne- your will is never crossed, you're actually not in a personal relationship, in case you wondered. You're in, a, you're in some sort of exploitive relationship. You're in a re- relationship with a robot, maybe even a human robot. Personal relationships are messy. In personal relationships, you have to give up some sort of control. Your will has to be given over. We're made for relationships. Now, a question. If you don't accept the Bible as the authoritative infallible Word of God in all its parts, if there are some parts of the Bible you don't accept because they're offensive to you and you don't believe in a God who would say that, or if there are parts of the Bible you follow and parts of the Bible you don't, I want to ask you a question, how do you have a personal relationship with God? I would contend you don't. Because God has given his... Word in the form of truth. How can you have a God who doesn't cross your will, who only does what you tell him to do or ask him to do? Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it like this in a book called Meditating on God. That was a picture of Harry Mudd. I know you want to see that. Let's talk about Bonhoeffer. He's much more important. He says this in Meditating on God's Word. If it is I who say where God will be, I will always find there a false God who in some way corresponds to me, is agreeable to me, and fits in with my nature. To follow God, to be in relationship with him, is to give up control of our lives to him. If you want all the things that I was talking about earlier, if you want the power of God, you want the reality of God, you want the joy of God, you want the freedom of God, then what we do is in relationship with Christ, we give up control of our lives to him. The psalmist believes that all thy words are true, all thy commands are true. There are several verses in Psalm 119 that you know well that we didn't read today where he says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. All in Psalm 119. I want to encourage you this morning to have an intimate relationship with God through the word made flesh so that the word made text will become life to us fully embrace the spirit of God fully embrace the word of God comprehend the eternal reality of the truth of God capitalize on its power connect with the source of truth submit your life to the will of God because then blessed are those whose ways are blameless who walk according to the law of the Lord blessed are they who keep his statutes And seek him with all their heart. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your life. We thank you for who you are and what you've done within us. Lord, we confess that we want to be a people of the word and a people who follow by your power and your spirit. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us more fully today. Lord, where we are tempted to reorganize your truth in a way that's more palatable for us, God, I pray that spirit of truth, you would rule and reign in our hearts and our lives. Lord, may we embrace your truth. May we embrace your word. May we follow your ways. Lord, I want to pray if there's anyone here today who's not in a relationship with faith the God of this word, that the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, would come. They would recognize that because of the cross, that their sins could be forgiven, that we would relinquish control of our lives to you, O Lord, and that we would in turn follow after you. God, for those of us who are followers of Yours today, I pray that where the enemy's been coming in and sowing seeds of, did God really say that we would return to your truth today? God, we thank you. May it be life to us. May it be like that stream of living water that we talked about and sang about earlier.